Good morning. It's uh, lovely to be here in my happy place. Um, I had a wonderful time in Charleston. I know that most of you know that uh, I've been in Charleston in the US uh, for this last week. It is an extraordinary town. I mean, it's 350 years old, so it's one of the oldest towns in America. It uh, was the main slave port for the horrific slave trade over a century or more. Uh, it's also right there in that harbour where Blackbeard, the famous Blackbeard the pirate, 300 years ago, almost to the day, did his, uh, did his best work, stopping all the commodities coming in to Charleston Harbour. And uh, it's also where the Civil War broke out in, uh, what is it, 1861. Um, so it's a really special town. It's like, I don't know, a little bit like if you took Oxford and just planted it, I don't know, in Cairns or something like that. Uh, it also happens to be uh, where the International Anglican Leadership Institute is based, where um, uh, bishops and priests in the Anglican Church from around uh, the Anglican Communion across the whole world uh, come for three weeks of intense uh, leadership training. And uh, I was just four days uh, at the beginning of, uh, of, their, of their program, helping them think about how to reach out uh, to the world. And uh, I asked a few of them... Uh, their thoughts on our passage, because uh, I also had to be trying to prepare the sermon this week while I was working with them, so I got them to do a little bit of my work for me and ask them what they make of uh, John chapter 3, and I'll play that uh, in a moment. I'll let them close the sermon out. Well, today's text has some of the best-known bits of the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, it's got that born-again bit, right? And I'm sure when you read that, you went, oh, that's where it comes from. I thought it was the American TV evangelist who invented that expression. No, it comes from Jesus. And this is the passage, the only passage, uh, where that expression is found on Jesus' lips. It's also the passage where we find the most quoted verse in the Bible, as Tom said earlier, John 3, 16. Um, some almost break out into song when they, uh, when they hear John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and so on. Uh, but here's the problem. Familiarity can breed contempt. Or at the very least, familiarity can obscure the significance of a passage. Don't just think, oh, this is the passage where the born-again thing comes and the John 3.16 comes. I know all about this. Mm, I hope I can convey something of the drama and significance of, uh, of John 3. So I do hope you have it open in front of you. Like so much in John's Gospel, the themes of John chapter 3 were already hinted at, where? The prelude. Numbers, yes, yes, we'll, we'll, but uh, so much of John is hinted at already in the prelude, the first 18 verses. That's why we did 37 sermons on those opening 18 verses uh, a while ago, uh, because it sets up all that is to come. And remember in the prelude, if you just uh, glance back to um, chapter 1, verse, uh, say, 10, we uh, saw that this is going to be a story of rejection and acceptance. One, chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born 
not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You can see that this is setting up all that's coming uh, in our uh, chapter. I mean, since chapter 1, we've seen people accept and reject Jesus, haven't we? We've seen uh, the first disciples, uh, Andrew, John, Simon, Philip, uh, Nathaniel, accept Jesus at the end of chapter 1. But we've also seen people reject Him. Uh, Chapter 2, last week, Jesus clears the temple in Jerusalem, and the Jewish leadership is outraged. By what authority do you think you can do this? And then it's all downhill from there with them. So it's acceptance and rejection. And then notice chapter 2 ends, just before we meet Nicodemus, our passage today, with a really ambiguous statement about people sort of accepting Jesus, but Jesus not being quite so sure. Yeah, so have a look at uh, 223 and 25. Uh, 223 to 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, sort of. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Underline that. He knew what was in each person. And these lines wonderfully set up chapter 3, our passage, where we're going to meet a top religious political figure who sort of believes, at least he's mighty impressed with the signs Jesus performs, but who according to Jesus is missing something very basic about the nature of God's mercy. Jesus knew what was in this man, Nicodemus. Uh, Chapter 3.1 introduces us to him as a, quote, Pharisee and a member of the ruling council. Uh, The ruling council is probably what's called the Sanhedrin. This is a 70 elite male parliament for ancient Jewish affairs. They governed all uh, affairs, political and religious, from Jerusalem, under, of course, the authority of Rome, but this Sanhedrin, this ruling council, uh, was the parliament for, for politics and for religion. Uh, the term Pharisee, though, don't conflate this and think that means he's a priest of some kind. Um, it, it isn't a role or function. Pharisee is a, a theological perspective. Um, Pharisee is like calling someone an evangelical or a liberal, right? You know, tags that aren't like official tags, like they don't come with job descriptions, but they are kind of, they indicate your spiritual perspective. And Pharisees in particular, the word Pharisee probably, we're not 100% sure, comes from the Hebrew word parush, means separate, okay? And so Pharisees thought they must be separate from everything impure. They were like the uber-righteous Jewish people, so they thought. Uh, Verse 10 also says that Nicodemus was a teacher, which didn't just go with being a Pharisee, didn't just go with being a member of the ruling council. So he's a council member, a Pharisee, and he's a teacher. That means he preaches in the temple courts, he preaches in the synagogues uh, throughout Judea and maybe Galilee as well. My point is this, and John's point is this, these are top credentials, yeah? Top credentials. And they mean precisely nothing. 
to the one who knew what was in each person. This accounts for Jesus' very striking, bold, opening salvo to Nicodemus. Nicodemus just comes up to him. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He's one of the 70 parliamentarians of the whole country. And Jesus' opening words there in verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? Don't you know who I am? Well, yeah, that's exactly the point. He knows exactly what is in each person. You can have all of the religious and intellectual credentials and privileges and pedigree in the world and not even see the kingdom of God, let alone be in it. Being born into the religious privilege of being a Jewish leader is no guarantee you are born of God. We're reminded of the prelude again. Just zip back to prelude chapter 1 verse 13 and we read this, that he, uh, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, then look at those words, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To be born again is an expression that directly challenges any notion that God's mercy and salvation is my birthright. That's what born again is all about. You come to Jesus thinking, <laughs> yeah, look at me. He says, I know you've been born, but you haven't been born again. There is no birthright here. And yet that's what, exactly what the Judaism of Jesus' day taught. Uh, you're a child of God if you're born of a Jewish woman or if you've been adopted by a Jewish husband. And Jesus says... Your human birth does not give you birth with God. You could be raised in the West, brought up in church. You could join Team Jesus, choose the Christian philosophy, practice Christian ethics, and not see God's kingdom and not be God's child. That's what born again He's trying to get at. Now, Nicodemus, he's not had anyone say this to him in the past, especially a young whippersnapper. And he pushes back in verse 4. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, this may be sarcastic, kind of subverting Jesus' theology by sort of reducing it to the idea that you could get born a second time from the womb, but Jesus pushes back even harder because he knew what was in each person. Verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, these are complex thoughts. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? Okay, I just, just thought I got my head around being born again, and now I've got to be born of water and be born of the Spirit. And then what's this business of the wind blowing wherever it wants to go? Well, there are at least three interpretations of water and spirit, and in my jet-lagged mode, I don't know which I believe. So I'll give them all to you, and you can just um, see which sounds best, almost logical. One, uh, it could refer to being baptized with water and filled with the Holy Spirit. It could refer to the conversion, which expected baptism and uh, the receipt of God's Holy Spirit to become a member of God's People. A variation on that interpretation sees the water reference as a reference to John the Baptist's water baptism, right? Because he baptized people in the Jordan, but always said, someone's coming after me who will, who will fill you with the Spirit, okay? So maybe it's, maybe it's that. It's just saying, you've got to come in through repentance in John the Baptist's way and, and, and now receive my teaching. Okay, that's number one interpretation of uh, born of water and Spirit. Secondly, it could refer to just the two births that are on view here. Uh, Water just refers to um, natural birth, the amniotic fluid that that comes with birth. It could could be just what he means by being born of water. You've got to be born the first time and born a second time uh, as a Christian. That's good. That's good too. Thirdly, uh, being born of water and spirit could refer to a single process of cleansing and renewal that is actually prophesied in Ezekiel 36, uh, perhaps, which goes like this, speaking of the new covenant to come. I will sprinkle clean water on you, says the Lord, and you will be clean. Oh, okay, so there's water. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, which sounds like being created again, born again, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That sounds pretty good too, don't you reckon? No, sure. What about the uh, reference to the wind blowing wherever it pleases? This, This is, I think, a lot easier to understand. Nicodemus is thinking of God's favor as local, predictable, contained. I was born a Jew. I'm in. Yeah? And Jesus is just saying, my friend, God's grace, mercy, salvation are international. Uncontainable and unpredictable. It's like wind. It's, of course, on offer to Nicodemus, sure. But we're going to turn over the page next week and we're going to come to one of the best narratives in John's Gospel, the Samaritan woman. Yeah? The wind of God's mercy and love is going to blow up north from Jerusalem into Samaria. Enemy territory, from a Jewish perspective. The very next passage. And a Samaritan woman receives the salvation of Jesus. 
opens her heart to him and is born again. It's just like the wind. Uncontainable. International. Unpredictable. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus says boldly in verse 10, and you don't get this stuff? So Jesus gives Nicodemus a little Bible lesson. It's very Jesus. He proves from the Old Testament that God's salvation was never a birthright. Never a birthright in the Old Testament itself. Israel always had to look back on God's instrument of mercy. Look at verse 14 where Jesus gives this little uh, Bible lesson to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Nicodemus knew this story from our Old Testament passage today, Numbers 21. He knew this story really well. Israelites sinned profoundly, God judged them severely, but then God gives them a means of salvation. It's weird, a bronze snake attached to a pole, and Moses lifts it up, and anyone who looks to God's instrument of mercy was saved. And Jesus is saying, you see that, Nicodemus? Those Israelites didn't have a birthright to salvation. They had to look to God's instrument of mercy... And so the story perfectly illustrates the climactic offer of grace that is in Jesus Christ. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. The bronze staff foreshadows a bloody cross where Jesus will bear our sin and judgment so that anyone who looks to Him, not to their birthright, not to their privileges, not to their credentials, not to their habits, but to Him, can be saved freely as a gift. The offer is there for Nicodemus if only he will look away from his birthright to God's instrument of salvation, and the offer is there to the Samaritan woman we'll meet next week. Enter the world's most famous Bible verse, John 3.16. And notice, will you, just glance down at your text, these aren't the words of Jesus, right? The quotation ends at verse 15, as you can see, that's where Jesus' words end. Um, These words, these famous, famous words, are actually John's, the author's commentary, on Jesus' words. There's lots of this in John's Gospel. We go from quote of Jesus to John's theologically driving it home. Look at verse 16. So he's just, he's just quoted Jesus saying, I'm going to be lifted up like that staff in the Old Testament, and, and anyone who looks to me will be saved. And then John goes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son So that whoever believes in him shall not perish eternally as they deserve, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son, John goes on, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, who rests on laurels, who looks to their works, who looks to their culture and setting and habit, stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. No one has a right to God's mercy and salvation, to eternal life. We don't live up to our own standards privately, do we? Let alone the Creator's standard to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. Everyone, Nicodemus, just as much as the Samaritan woman will soon meet, stands condemned if left to their own credentials. Being born in a Christian family provides no safety. Attending a church provides no safety. Adopting the Christian philosophy provides no safety. Living a better life than the person down the street provides no safety. There is one safe place. The Lord Jesus, raised on a cross for our sins, raised again to life, to provide us eternal life. No matter how good and credentialed we think we are, Jesus said, our lives will condemn us without Him. And glorious, no matter how bad we think we are, our lives will not condemn us if we look to Him and trust Him who died and rose for us. Friends, my beloved St. Andrews, you must be born again. These are not the words of some crazy modern TV evangelist. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. You must be born again. We must give up any sense of entitlement and simply trust the instrument of grace God has provided, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God fills us with His Spirit, declares us to be His children, and guarantees us new life. You're all born. Are you born again? I asked my new friends, some of them, 
representing the Anglican Communion around the world, to help me conclude this with their own thoughts. Have a listen. Yeah, I am Bishop Joseph Abba from South Sudan, and uh, I wanted to talk about how I came to know Jesus Christ, in other words, being born again is a common word we use for a person who have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I came to realize when Jesus was talking with the Nicodemus that unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's very true. I had been in the church for a good number of years, born in an Anglican family, raised in an Anglican family, but I've never understood who Jesus is until that very moment. When I met Jesus Christ. Hello, everyone. My name is Massimo Meira. I'm from Brazil. I'm Bishop of the Anglican Church. I was, I was a drug man. I was a bad man in the past. I used marijuana. I drank a lot, and now, ah, now I was born with Jesus. I have a new life. And Massimo, uh, you've seen many people born again in the 18 churches you have started. Can you tell me briefly about that? Yeah, it's wonderful because this is our mission. Our mission is convert. Our mission is to preach. And when Jesus entered in your life, you need to was born. You need to born again. And we can see in Brazil, I planted 80 churches and I saw in, I saw in the each lives the new lives with Jesus. I'm David Ochre from Ghana. In my country, it said that you've been born again or you've been converted. Many people have been converted to Christ. The church has done a lot to win souls otherwise that they will not be in Christ or to let them know that God loves them. And our outreach program, all that we do, to go to villages, hinterlands, to talk to people about the love of God, that God will not despise anybody, is ready to sit down with you, to reason with you, and if even you have sinned, God is ready to forgive you. That is our message, and that is what we tell everybody. I'm Bishop of Vitalis Yusuf from the Anglican Church of Tanzania, and the Diocese of Biharamuro is a new diocese. Uh, to be born again, it means total surrender, giving your heart to the Lord. And how do you say born again in Swahili? Uh, born again in Swahili, we say kuzaliwa upia. Yeah, my name is Erisa Mutawazi. I'm a priest in the Anglican Church of Rwanda uh, in Chigali Diocese. We usually use the term born again uh, for when a person experiences uh, uh, repentance and receiving of the Holy Spirit, that's when we say somebody is born again. My personal experience when I was, a, was born again was when I, I had uh, seen the film of G the Jesus film. I saw Jesus on the cross. I saw Jesus suffering and going through pain for my sake. And I prayed, Lord, touch me, help me and change me. And that's when I was born again, and I prayed, and I received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. To say born again in my language, which is Chinyarwanda, 
is kuvuka ubwa kabiri kuvuka ubwa kabiri hello my name is jacob wu my vietnamese name is thai and uh, i i'm an anglican priest in hanoi and um, in vietnamese we call born again is tai uh, sing and what do i mean by tai uh, sing I was born again. I, I used to be the communist member. I, uh, I don't love, uh, I did not love other people, but also I did not feel that the people loved me until the day I went to Hong Kong and I heard the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I realized that I'm loved by Jesus. And then I accept Jesus into my life as my Lord, my Savior, and my life was totally transformed. And uh, I'm happy, and I love God, and I so love other people. Because I know that God is the one who loved me first. My name is Right Reverend Stephen Kobe from Nigeria, an Anglican bishop in the Church of Nigeria. I'm bishop in Diocese of Kaba, in Kogi State. The word born again is a popular phrase or popular word in Nigeria. And it's big because as you go around Nigeria, whether in the north, whether in the south, all across Nigeria, you hear people say they are born again. And what does that mean? It means that they have had the conversion, turned from their sins, turned from disobedience, turned from the worship of idols, turned from you know, a crooked and a corrupt lifestyle, and then have come to receive Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. And of course, it's not as if maybe all about culture has become dead. No, there are some aspects of culture, whether those who are Igbos, those who are Hausa, those who are Yorubas, you know, would want to keep in the light of born again. But whatever it is that they do in the light of their culture, they always bring it back to the context of Scripture. So in, all our, in most of our churches, I would say in Nigeria, whether you talk about the mainline churches or the independent churches, the word or the phrase born again is at home with us. Hi, I'm Shelley McVie, Reverend Shelley McVie from Toronto, Canada. I work in the Diocese of Toronto in the Anglican Church. And I love this story in the Gospel of John where Jesus invites us to a transformed life but I love the fact that it's probably an older clergy person who comes and he comes at night. Now, nobody goes out at night because that's the danger zone in ancient times. But he comes by night because he doesn't want his colleagues to know he doesn't have all of the answers. And he's curious about this young rabbi. And what Jesus offers us, what he's offered me, is that born-again life, that born from above. It's, it's too bad that it's been lessened in popular culture because it's such a great thing because that's what's happened. We've been, we've been born again. We've been given new life. It's like needing a heart transplant and suddenly there's a donor. Or I work with a lot of people with AIDS. Having that clean blood that can go through you and give you new life. And I think that's what Jesus offers all of us. And I've been transformed 
uh, by the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will experience that too.